going to read one verse tonight, possibly one of the most one of the most iconic Christmas prophecies. But Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here tonight, and I thank you for uh, the word that you've given us. I pray that you would speak to us, and uh, that we would have hearts that are ready for the message you have for us. In your name, amen. You can be seated. I think we've all obviously waited for something at some point in our life, right? I mean, waiting is not something that's enjoyable. Uh, here, here's some just brief statistics. The average American waits 32 minutes every time they have to visit a doctor. And some of you have, who have to make frequent doctor visits, you're like, yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, 32 minutes uh, for a doctor, 26 minutes in uh, security lines every, whenever they travel, 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out, I won't pause there too long. Brother Ricky might get himself in trouble. Uh, the average American waits 13, 13 hours annually on hold with customer service. Uh, the average American also waits 36 hours uh, a year in traffic. I'm sorry, 36 hours a year in traffic. I, thankfully, I don't... I feel like we have, Anderson's gotten busier, we're waiting a little bit more, but I still don't feel like I wait 36 hours a year, but who knows, maybe you start adding it all up. Uh, but then, then these statistics get a little bit crazier. Uh, did you know that, that there's a business venture now that is now paying people to wait in lines for them? You can pay somebody to wait in line for you to buy tickets to a concert or uh, wait for the latest iPhone release. In fact, the going rate is anywhere from $25 to $80 an hour to wait in line for somebody. <laughs> there is nothing in my life that I care that much for that I'm going to pay somebody up to $80 an hour to wait for. Now, that being said, if you want to pay me $80 an hour, I'd be happy to do it. Uh, that's, that's unbelievable. We as people don't like to wait. And I, I think that's, that's inherent within all of us. Now, some of you guys are far more patient than me. I hate waiting. There's a light right up here, uh, uh, just down the road from here on the way home, and it takes like two minutes to change. And I, every time I go through that light, I am mad. There's no traffic coming. Why is this light taking so long to change? And I'm just annoyed by it. I'm Apparently, I'm the only carnal one in here. But I think we've all, we've, we do not like to wait. But what we see often is the, the further away something is, the more difficult it is to wait for. Or rather, the less important it becomes to wait for. I think 80% of Americans uh, are not prepared for retirement because it's, it's that hypothetical long way away, so there's no urgency about it. And as we wait for things, we can often undervalue them or lose the importance of what we're waiting for. At the time this prophecy is made, it's 700 years before Jesus is actually born. And even after that, it's 400 years after they hear the last prophecy from Malachi. They have 400 years of silence. And I'm sure when this prophecy was made, every mother with an eligible daughter was begging God that their daughter would be the mother of the Messiah. Well, then 50 years goes by, 100 years, 400 years, 700 years. This thing that became, uh, that was at one time this, this universal anticipation became something of folklore. They're, they're waiting for, yeah, the Messiah is going to come eventually. 
But instead of it being this urgent, important thing, it was now this, this far-off mystical idea that they, could, that they were anticipating, but it really had lost the weight of what it actually was. The Messiah was coming. The, the Redeemer of mankind, the Liberator from sin, was coming. And instead of it being something that was just so much excitement, what we see when Jesus actually does come to earth is a culture that's cold and indifferent towards him. In fact, so much so that the religious leaders murdered him. But we can very easily look at the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, with kind of a, a scoffing attitude of, well, what? did they not understand how, how big this was, how important this was? But I think oftentimes we, as we wait for the second coming, can very much develop the same attitude. This thing of, of un, unmeasurable importance, the second coming of Jesus, this thing that, 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 that all of humanity hinges on is now this faraway prospect, this thing of fantasy, this thing of folklore, but it carries very little to no bearing in our daily life. It's not something that we're, we're anticipating, that we're excited about. It's something that we, we've, yeah, he's coming again but it carries very little weight with us. As we look at this tonight, I would like for us to, to see three things that we need to do while we wait. Because as much as I don't like waiting, there's no other way around it. It could be another 2,000 years. I really don't believe that. It could be tomorrow when Jesus comes back. But whatever happens, I need to wait the same today as I would if, if, he, if he was coming and I knew he would be here within an hour. I need to have the same urgency, the same anticipation. And so three things that we need to do while we wait. The first thing we need to do is keep the faith. We need to keep the faith. What we see in the, the Jewish people is as they waited, we see a couple different camps. The first was the religious elite. These men knew the Messiah was coming, but they had taken the word of God and they had twisted it to fit their own agenda so that they could be better than everybody else because they adhered to the law so much better than everybody. They, they, they were good Jews by all indications. But these religious elite, when the Messiah was here, sought to kill him because he did not fit their agenda. Then we also see there had to have been many of the Jewish people who abided by the traditions because it was a tradition that their mom and dad had. It was a tradition that their great-grandma passed down to them. They went to, the, all the, they went to all the sacrifices. They participated in all the feasts. They did everything that they were supposed to do, but it wasn't real to them. They, yet they had religion, but it was their mom's religion. It was their dad's religion. But then we also see the believers, I'm sure that there were, though there may have been some who were doing everything the way they should have been, we do see a large portion who lived in open defiance towards God. And we, we see this in, in, in what preachers preach on Sunday mornings. Uh, we see that, that their defiance, God sent a correction in a foreign entity to, to make sure that they got back to following him. But where we pick up with Jesus is when he's born, they're enslaved by the Romans. They are still defying God, and God is still sending somebody to correct them, and they're still not getting it. And we look at this and we say, man, those guys, what's wrong with them? But while we wait, we can often do the same thing. 
We forget that we have to keep the faith. We, we forget that, that, that the importance of our, our belief system, and we allow ourselves to be pulled away from it. We cannot be pulled away. There's so much vying for our attention in our world today. I mean, there's, there's entertainment, there's jobs, there's, there's hobbies, there's children, there, there's family, there's everything that's, that's vying for our attention. And, and, and we, as a people, are busy. I'm sure you're feeling it this time of, uh, time of the year too, right? I mean, we have something going on all the time. Kids' Christmas concert, teen, teen Christmas party, staff Christmas party, all this stuff. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I, I am so wore out for Christmas. And then Christmas Day comes, you're like, all right, I don't even want to do anything. You kids can open presents, I'm sleeping in. They, they don't let me sleep in, I don't but we have so much vying for our attention. And as all this tries to pull our attention away, oftentimes the first thing to give is God and church. In our busyness, we, we make accommodations for everything else, but, but when Sunday comes around, you know, it's been a long week. I'm going to sleep in. It's been a long week. Uh, we're we're going to take some family time. And listen, I don't mean to make light of this, but it... it Nowhere in the Bible does family take precedence over God. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing when we start making allowances and excusing and justifying our, our really indifference because of family. God should be the number one priority. And we have to be sure that we are allowing nothing to pull us away. The hard part about waiting so long with, is that it demands constant and intentional course direction course correction, to make sure that we are focused where we should be. It's, it's that cruising down the highway. I don't like driving. Uh, every, every other year we drive out to Oklahoma and uh, we spend some time with my in-laws. And I hate that drive. I don't know if you guys have ever driven through, anybody driven through Oklahoma. It is, in my opinion, one of the worst drives. I know there was worse. Somebody's going to say the Southwest, and yes, I can agree with that. But Oklahoma is just boring. It's flat, it's straight. I wish I had a self-driving car because you could set cruise control and fall asleep and it wouldn't, nothing would change. It would be awesome. I hate that drive. But you know what happens as you drive down the road, what do you have to constantly do? You have to constantly keep yourself between the lines because if you don't, you're going to end up in the middle of some cow pasture and it's not going to be a good day for you. It's the same thing with our Christian life. We must constantly be recorrecting ourselves to focus on our God because while we wait, we can lose a lot of that anticipation. We need to be sure that we don't compromise. We are seeing in our, our Christian movement today denominations that are compromising in wholesale. We are seeing uh, denominations that are allowing homosexual pastors or, or female pastors or, or they're, they're in, endorsing the the perversion of our world because they want to be inclusive and they want everybody to be accepted. I want to stand up here and say Christ accepted everybody. We don't have to change the word of God for it to, to mean that, that Christ now loves everybody because the Bible says he doesn't. No, no. The, Christ loved everybody. He accepted everybody. But he didn't allow us to stay the same. And in our world today, it can be very easy to allow ourselves to compromise on what we believe. And it's a shame that churches are now compromising to make it more convenient to be at church. I'm not saying church should be inconvenient. But it's like David said as he, he's standing at the threshing floor and, and it, it, it's offered to him for free. He says, I cannot give to God that which costs me nothing. 
Many believers, they want to live a, a faith that costs them nothing. And, and in doing so, what they are doing is they're compromising on what God has called them to do. We cannot compromise on, on our walk with God. We cannot compromise because what we are waiting for is far too important. But here's the thing. Compromise never, uh, let me say, very rarely happens in one wholesale moment. Compromise happens in generations of small decisions. The decisions I make today will affect my children. It will affect my grandchildren. My apathy towards God, my, my, we don't need to go to church, it's vacation. Well, I don't need to read my Bible, it's been a busy week. I don't need to spend time with God. You know what that translates to? It translates to my children having an even more apathetic walk with God. And my grandchildren having an even more apathetic walk with God. My compromise today will have ripples for generations. And we must be sure as we wait that we do not compromise. We need to keep the faith. But secondly, we need to be sure we do not get discouraged. Do not allow the wickedness of this world to discourage you. It's easy. It's, it's easy to look around at the perversion. It's easy to look around at the people marching and celebrating abortion. It's easy to look at, at all the wickedness that's ha happening and, and in our own self become discouraged. It's easy to look at what's happening politically and how it doesn't align with what we want to happen and allow ourselves to become angry and embittered. But here's the thing. Is God's not caught off guard by any of this. The world we're living in is no more wicked than it now than it was in Jesus' time. People have always been wicked. We have always been immoral. We have always sought to do the wrong thing. And, and it's not worse now. It's just more public. We just see more of it. And we can allow ourselves to look at what's happening, and we can allow ourselves to become discouraged by it, or we can instead allow our light to shine even brighter. Because in the darkness of this world, the darker it gets, the more brilliant our faith should shine. But instead what happens is we allow ourselves to be covered up by the wickedness of the world. We allow ourselves in our discouragement to say, look at how bad it is. I, why should I even try? I, I, I'm amazed. I am thankful I have the opportunity every week to go to a couple of our middle schools. You get to go to Southwood, the Performing Arts Middle School, and I get to go to Robert Anderson. And, and between the two Bible clubs, we see about 100, 150 students uh, between the two on, on a weekly basis. And it amazes me how biblically illiterate so many of those kids are. And we live in the Bible Belt. I mean, we live, I mean, I, I drive by four churches on my way to my church. There are churches everywhere. How is it that anybody can grow up in Anderson, South Carolina without knowing who God is, without knowing who Jesus is? It, it's happening because the believers have gotten quiet. They've allowed themselves to get discouraged. They've allowed themselves to look at the weakness of the world around them and say, it's not, it's not even worth the effort anymore. We have to be sure we do not allow the weakness of the world to wear on us, but we also must be sure that we don't get weary in well-doing. When you do something a lot, it becomes ritual, right? I mean, you, you can develop good rituals, good habits. I mean, if you were to run three miles every day, that'd be an awesome habit. One I will never adopt. <laughs> it would be good. It's not happening, but it would be good. But we can also develop a ritual or habit in our church, in our church life, to the point we get tired of doing the things that we're supposed to do. 
I mean, that's why Jesus cautions us not to be weary in well-doing. Because it is a very real problem. What happens is we have, we have believers who've grown up in church and they're generational Christians and, and they were once involved in the choir, they were once involved in Sunday school, they were once involved in children's ministry, they did everything, they were involved in everything, and then they got tired. And now the, the, the believer who was once pouring into their church is now the Dead Sea. They take in with very little giving. We need to be sure that we do not allow ourselves to get weary in well-doing. Because the more familiar we are with our faith, the more dangerous the poison of apathy becomes. Because this is old hat to us. I mean, I know who I'm talking to. I know who I'm talking to. It's the week of Christmas, and everybody, I feel like, is dealing with sickness. We are talking to the core members of Oakwood Baptist Church. And I'm thankful for you. But we must be sure that we do not allow ourselves to become weary in well-doing and become the person who sits in the pew and contributes nothing to the work of God. We are waiting for the most important. This is no hyperbole or exaggeration. We are waiting for the single most important moment in all of history. And a lot of us are tired of doing what we're supposed to be doing. And because of that, people are going to hell. I know this is kind of a different Christmas message, but this is what it's about. This is, this is why we celebrate Christmas. It's because of the purpose and the life that it gives us. We need to be sure that we don't be, get weary in well-doing. We need to be sure that we don't waste our time. We cannot waste our time, thirdly. While we are waiting, we need to be sure that we are about our Father's business and Winning souls. Uh, we, we are, that's, that's a Christian's singular directive. Go, win, baptize, teach. That is the only thing that we really should be concerned about. Everything else is auxiliary to make that happen. Our, our attendance to church should encourage us to go, win, baptize, teach. Our involvement in children's ministry should be so we can go in, baptize, teach. Our, our, our workplace should be a mission field for us where we are going, winning, baptizing, and teaching. Everything in our life should be focused around the singular goal. And when we allow ourselves to become distracted, it's not because the message is unimportant, but because we are selfish. We have chosen to, to focus on our own worth. We have chosen to focus on our, our own uh, comfort. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. But it becomes a problem when we are willing to sacrifice the souls of others at the altar of our own comfort. Ah, man, I don't want to go to visitation. I'm tired. It's my only day off. Now, I'm not saying the only time you can go on visitation is Saturdays, but we should be doing something. Uh, if we can go to our workplace and interact with unsaved people and they can walk away without being challenged in, in their, their salvation, then we are failing. If we can live next door to somebody for years and they not know for sure how they can go to heaven when they die, we are failing. We are wasting the time that we have while we wait. Many of us are going to stand before God and we're going to look at the people that are marching to hell because of our apathy, and we're going to have to explain to him that our pursuit of comfort was more important than their soul. We have to win souls. We cannot waste our time while we wait. We must invest in our church family. 
I am thankful for Oakwood Baptist Church. I, Miss Jamie and I have been here three years, and I am, I am thankful. This is our family. You guys have been with us in some hard times. And I, I cannot say enough good things about this church. I think we have a spirit of unity. We have a spirit of fellowship that is uncommon, unfortunately, in churches today. And that's awesome. It'll be a... I, I, we have so much, so many blessings. I, I, I've worked in a church where, where there, there was one piano player, and when she went to college, we were in trouble. We have a piano player in like every pew, I feel like. We got to listen to 17 people up here play instruments for about 30 minutes and play them well, remarkably well. We have talent pouring out the nose here. We are so blessed. I'm thankful for Pastor Jones. I'm thankful for his leadership. I'm thankful for how he, he, he adheres to biblical principle and he seeks to lead a church according to what God wants. I am thankful for that. And as we are comfortable in such wonderful facilities that Brother David works so hard to keep up, and as we hear such excellent preaching on a weekly basis and enjoy exceptional, honestly exceptional singing on a weekly basis, it can become very easy for us to start nitpicking at the little problems. It can become very easy for us to say, well... I didn't like that song. Listen, there, there are churches all across the country that would give their left arm to have a music program like we do. And I'm thankful for all the work that Brother Mark puts in. Uh, we have churches across the country that, that, that beg God for facilities like this. Well, I wouldn't have put that carpet in there. I'm not saying that we have this problem. I, I really don't feel that we have this problem. But it can become very, very easy for in our comfort for us to lose sight of what is actually important. We have so many blessings. It is overwhelming how good God has been to Oakwood Baptist Church. And in our comfort, we can say, it's not the way I would spend money. And we're missing out on the blessings that God is pouring out in a waterfall on us because we don't like this one little thing. And again, I, I want to be clear. I, I do not think we have this problem. I have been in enough churches to see this problem. And I am thankful we do not have that spirit here. But if we are not careful, what very easily happens is in the, the abundance of good, we look for the minuscule bad. We need to be sure that, that instead of looking at the problems that we perceive, instead we are investing ourselves into our church family and into the body of Christ. What's that look like? That, that looks like making sure that you are, you are building relationship. I, I do not know how people make it without a church family. I don't. I, when I am in trouble, you know, I am calling my closest friends here at this church. When I am needing encouragement, I, I go to my closest Christian brothers. Why? Because, because this, this Christian body has been my support my entire life. I couldn't survive without it. But we must be sure that we are investing in our church, investing in our church family. And it can, it, that means that we are, we are inviting people over to our house. I, I'm an introvert, which means I 
recharge by not being around people. It doesn't mean that I don't like to talk to people. I, obviously, I have no problem with that. Uh, it doesn't mean that I am, I am awkwardly shy. It just means that after spending a time with a lot of people, it is nice for me to go somewhere and be by myself. And any of you who are introverts can absolutely agree to that. So when I get home, a lot of times, it's, it's not always the top of my list to have somebody over and eat dinner with them. Do you know what always happens? I finish, the they, family comes over, we spend time together, and I am more encouraged after they leave than I was beforehand. We need to invite people over to our house. We, we need to be sure that we are involving ourselves in our Sunday school class. Be faithful to Sunday school. And again, I know who I'm talking to. None of you guys have this problem. But be faithful to Sunday school. This is where we build relationships with people of like age. Or if you're one of the weirdos and you're still hanging out in preacher's class, you can build relationships with people younger than you. It's fine. <laughs> but this is how we build the camaraderie. Be faithful to church functions. I understand life is busy. I do. And sometimes things happen to fall on the same day. But if we are consistently missing church functions because of plans that we could have made on a different day, we are robbing ourselves of a relationship with God's people. It is, it, I'm telling you, I love the 4th of July. I love the Harvest Party because it gives us time to sit with fellow Christians and enjoy stuff, food, chili, Fireworks, enjoy stuff together. But if I come to church and I expect everybody to be pouring into me, I am going to be a very miserable Christian. Listen, we are waiting for the most important thing. We are waiting for the second coming of our Messiah. The time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will give an account for their works and everyone will, will, will have to stand before God and admit that they have either accepted his son or rejected his son. All of us will stand before him, every person on earth. And if we are not remembering the importance of it, we are going to watch countless thousands go to hell on our behalf. We have such an important responsibility. I know this Christmas time, again, this is not your typical Christmas message, but this Christmas time, as we gather around with our family, and as we, we read uh, the, the, the Christmas story uh, with our family before we open presents, let's remember that it's not just baby Jesus born in a manger, but the Messiah, the Redeemer of all mankind, who gave himself and became flesh for me. And the importance of that. Let's remember as we gather around the table this Christmas that it's not about the, the, the Christmas ham that is, not turkey, Christmas ham you're supposed to have. I, I learned that in the South. It's got to be ham. It's not about the Christmas ham. Instead, it's, it's about the weight of mankind and their need for God. We have been so blessed. And in that blessing, it is very easy to become lazy and apathetic and comfortable. But we must be sure while we wait that we are abiding by everything that we're supposed to, that we are keeping the faith, that we're not getting discouraged, and that we're investing in our church, that we're not wasting our time. We're winning souls. Because 
That's what's important. Nothing else. That alone is what's important.